Are we good? I think so, yeah. Okay, thank you for that wonderful introduction, Joe. Um, <laughs> welcome everyone. Good to see you all. And I want to begin by expressing my personal gratitude as well as the gratitude of the OAN Board of Directors, Bob Mortar, Domenica, Brenda, um, and uh, Andrea for your amazing show of generosity over the course of Center Gives. Um, we, were, we are all, in fact, I have the goosebumps now just thinking about it. <laughs> just um, uh, wanting to express our deep, deep gratitude for how generous you've all been in many ways, but certainly over the course of, of this Center Gives campaign. So thank you, thank you all. Um, <clears throat> I kind of forgot the title of today's talk, but I think it's something like the truth of Buddha's teachings or the true teachings, something like that. Uh, and I want to continue addressing the issue of not only the teachings, but the, um, the practice of Shikantaza. Buddhist teachings were never written down by him. <laughs> um, his method of teaching, his way of teaching was always in person. His students hung out with him. <laughs> Uh, they, you know, there was no, there were no books to read. Um, there were, there were much like Socrates who never wrote anything. There were dialogues. There were questions and answers. There were exchanges of um, understandings, of interpretations, of questions. So fundamentally, uh, these teachings, um, are constantly subject to interpretation. It was only a couple of hundred years before one even began to think of recording the teachings. Um, and, and then they were, they were not transcriptions, they were memories of the students, of the disciples. So, we could, we could ask, you know, what are the teachings? Um, how trustworthy uh, are the many teachings that have been passed on over millennia to us? There are many folks who, who are looking for the true teachings, <laughs> you know, what Buddha really said what, what is the fundamental teaching? And it's almost like, do, do you, I don't know whether many of you have played this game, it's called telephone, where you play it as kids and you, you line up a group of your friends and someone starts with a word and whispers it into the next person's ear. And the next person whispers it to the next person. And it goes down the row until the last person reports what it is that was transmitted 
It's sort of like the telephone transmission line. And usually it's really funny <laughs> what comes out at the end. So for example, um, I, I could start with um, the word flower and I could whisper it and it, flower. And then the next person, what they hear whispers to the next person. And maybe by the, by the time everybody has transmitted what he or she hears, the last person says sauerkraut. No, that's nothing to do with, with the first transmission, so to speak. Well, it sounds like flour, but it's sauerkraut. This is in a way the spirit of the evolution of Buddha's teachings. We're really not, it doesn't make any sense for us to try to find the original true teachings. Um, sometimes we say, oh, well, I wish Buddha were here. <laughs> you know, if we could just ask Buddha, do you think that would help? <laughs> you, know, you think we would understand anything more clearly if we were asking Buddha? I mean, he'd be, He'd be like um, responding the way Ame likes to have things responded in koans. You know, we, we still wouldn't understand directly, you know, what he was saying. It's having him here, really, uh, we would still have that interpretation issue that we would still be seeing things in a variety of ways. And, you know, this is, um, this is one of the beauties of practice, that there is no dogma. There's no one true teaching. In fact, if, if one of the truths is impermanence, then everything is impermanent, including the teachings including the teachings. We, we, we don't expect those to be permanent or dogmatic. As a matter of fact, if we can really simplify things and we can, we can just take the word Buddha. What does Buddha mean? Buddha means the awakened one, the awakened one. So in some sense, the teachings, if we are to regard Buddha as the source of the teachings, it means just to be awake. You know, when Buddha, according to the story, when he, after his enlightenment, and he proceeded toward the deer park where he met some of his ascetic friends, and they, they couldn't quite get what had changed about him. Uh, and they asked 
questions about, you know, are you a God? Are you, are, have you achieved some kind of divine status? Are you somehow kind, there's something about you that's really different. He didn't respond by saying, I have achieved enlightenment or I am totally calm or I really know how to deal with the world. What did he say? He said, I'm awake. He said, I'm awake. That's it. You know, to be fully awake is pretty astounding. So on, on you know, you don't need to study the four noble truths, the eightfold path, the three Dharma seals, if you're awake. For example, if you're really awake, you don't need to know to study the fact that there is impermanence. <laughs> you don't need to be told that. If you're fully awake, it's right there. You have to read it in a book. You don't have to study Buddha Buddhism to learn of impermanence, to discover it. If you're awake, you see it, you see it. So we, you know, aren't we all awake? Well, yeah, our eyes are open. <laughs> aren't we all paying attention? You know, yeah, we're conscious things appear before us, but are we paying attention? Aren't we all uh, mindful? I mean, there's something always in front of us. Aren't we engaged? So I think the teachings are required because probably the answers to those questions are, well, I see your face, but do I see you? Uh, my eyes are open, but am I awake? Am I fully awake? So many of you talked about what requires your 100% attention and a good portion of that is about physical activity. The difference between being, having your eyes open and being awake is that the kind of awakening that Buddha I think was referring to or expressing was the embodied awakening. An embodied awakening. Full, complete, all cylinders firing awakening. Not just from the eyebrows up or from the eyeballs up, but full, 
boundless presence. In other words, to be completely alive, to com be completely there. And that's where Shikantaza comes in. So what did Buddha do? Presumably, he sat down. He sat down under a tree. <laughs> and he trusted. He trusted himself and he trusted the universe to reveal what needed to be revealed. He didn't sit there reading a book. He didn't sit there with another teacher telling him, okay, this is what, you know, follow my, follow my instructions. There were no guided meditations. And again, I am not, uh, I am not arguing against anything. I am presenting perhaps a way of approaching awakening that you may wish to consider or try out, try out for yourself. No techniques, no strategies, do what Buddha did. Just sit down, fully present, fully embodied and allow, allow, trust that whatever teachings emerge will emerge from your awakened state that will all flow from there. Compassion, patience, sympathetic joy, loving kindness. As long as you're awake, all of those will flow quite naturally. You don't have to control the mind in order to make that happen. You just have to allow what is our natural birthright, our natural perfection to express itself. It may take a while, but you trust it. So most of the time, perhaps we can say that we're not awake in this way. We don't have a fully embodied awakened. Most of the time we are probably in some kind of trance. You know, sometimes I'll be talking to somebody and you can tell like they're disappearing. <laughs> you know, there's sort of a glaze that comes over their eyes and you know, they're really, nobody said they were, they needed to give their 100% attention when they were talking to someone. <laughs> nobody said that. So you can see, you know, the mind is not paying attention. And then sometimes you'll say, hello. <laughs> and they'll go, oh. <laughs> I just, oh yeah, I'm back. <laughs> I just, I awakened. But you can see that, you know, that drifting away. And then, so most of the time we're just kind of in la-la land. 
la la land. And we have to be continually like, hello, <laughs> continually awakened, pushed. So Shikantaza helps, helps us in this way to stay awake. Sometimes in the, these, what we call guided meditations or instructions for meditation, sometimes they can contribute to becoming, in, moving into a trance. You know, you sort of get, oh, you know, my heart is open and, you know, it, it, <laughs> it, it, that, that can be, it can be, not always, but it lends itself to going into some kind of mystical trance, you know, where that's not, that's not Zen. Again, my, my take, do with it what you, what you want. So what do we do to break our trance? To wake up, to wake up. I was watching my cat the other day. Shu Long knows, knows about cat watching. Dogs don't do this so much. Not that I've noticed anyway, but I was watching my cat walk along and then he stops and then he walks and then he stops and he walks. And I thought, hmm, walking meditation. It's like the cat has to stop every now and then to take account of what is in front of him. You know, it's like, oh, I'm just walking, but now I'm stopping. Oh, looking around. Start walking again. That's constant walking, stopping, walking, stopping. So here's a strategy for you. When you're moving around in the world. Lots of acronyms are offered by Dharma teachers. Here's one. The acronym of STOP. Literally, um, sometimes we just sit on our cushion and we just stop. We just stop everything we're doing and sit down like Buddha did. So the S in STOP is for literally just stop what you're doing physically. Just stop. The T, take a breath. T, just take a breath. Become embodied. Come back into inhabiting your body. Oh, <laughs> open your eyes and see, open, open. Don't get stuck in 
narratives and stories in what you should be thinking or what some kind of judgment you're making about where you are. Just open, open the doors, open the sense doors, open your eyes, your ears, your nose, your tongue, your body, open all of your senses. S-T-O-P, and then like miso and mochi, proceed. <laughs> proceed. And you proceed out of that awakened, awakened state. Okay. I've stopped. I've taken a breath. I've opened all my sense doors, and now I'm alive. I can proceed proceed with life, because I can meet it with boundless presence, with embodied presence, with 100% attention. So I've been teaching Shikantaza. That's a change in my teaching. I used to begin with counting breaths. Okay, to count breaths and then stop counting the breaths and uh, use Thich Nhat Hanh's um, visualizations. I, I'm, you know, I see myself as a mountain and I feel fresh or I feel solid or, you know, all of that stuff. But these days, I think I trust everyone more than that, than I did in the past. Go right to it. Go right to the deepest practice. Go right to awakening. Go right to what Buddha did. Just sit down, open, breathe, and be there. Um, I, 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 at one time in my life, I was, I was intending to learn how to play the piano. <laughs> at the time, the, the teacher that I went to said he never, he never takes on um, adult students because they, they don't practice. <laughs> that only children who are pushed by their parents you know, have a fighting chance of learning how to play the piano. So he never takes adults because they just, they have, they're too busy and they don't have any pressures to practice like parents give children. So I begged him, please, please take me on, you know, I, I will practice. Of course, I didn't uh, in the end. <laughs> he was absolutely right. But he had an amazing approach to teaching. And the teaching was that he did not start beginners with uh, things like um, chopsticks <laughs> or um, twinkle, twinkle, little star. He started with Bartok. He started with music not with jingles. <laughs> you know? 
And I thought that was so, it was brilliant because if you hear the music from the beginning, you're more likely to practice. You're more likely to want that, to want to hear that. Again, not arguing with any other strategy, <laughs> this gradual, you know, you start with little tiny things and then you, you gradually build, not arguing against that, just presenting something maybe different that you might wanna try. So I want to end with um, a quote from Thoreau, who was all very interested in Buddhism. And from my point of view, if we're going to adapt this beautiful and, and ancient practice to the American spirit, it's through people like Thoreau and Emerson and William James. So this is what Thoreau wrote in one of his journals. To be awake is to be alive. I have never yet met a man who was quite awake. How could I have looked him in the eye? How do I interpret that? Someone who is awake, like Buddha, it's like, oh, yikes. <laughs> it's hard to even look at a person like that because there's so much life there, it's overwhelming. And that's what Buddha's friends saw in him. It's like, I can, you are very odd. There's something really different about you. Yeah, I'm awake, <laughs> I'm fully here. I'm fully, fully present. So, you don't have to try to be awake. It's our natural condition. All you need to do is sit down and let it happen. And there's another wonderful quotation from a, a poet named David Wagoner, who says, stand still the forest knows where you are. Stand still. The forest knows where you are. Allow your natural awakeness to manifest itself. I trust us. <laughs>